We're in our series on biography and talking about some of the great people of the Old Testament. And today we look at Caleb and how to live and leave a legacy. How do you live and leave a legacy? How do you give your life to something that lasts and to something that matters? In 1492, the Spanish Empire had a motto. The motto was, ne plus ultra, no more beyond. They believed that everything about the limits of the earth had been already discovered and determined. But in 1492, Columbus changed all of that. And so it became more beyond, from no more beyond to more beyond. How do you and I live the kind of life that no matter where we are at this moment in our lives, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our setbacks, our downfalls, our discouragements, or our opportunities, how do we live with the reality that there is always more beyond. Caleb lived this because he had a passion that was built on a promise. Because God had given him a promise, he had a passion to see that promise fulfilled in his life. It was given to him when he was a young man. Now, when I was young, I I thought I knew everything. And the older I got, and after I went off to college, I found out my parents were a lot smarter than I thought they were. You know, I was so smart when I was uh, 14 years old that I could tell you how to solve, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis or, you know, the war in Vietnam, but I couldn't match socks and shoes. And I couldn't wash my own clothes. And I couldn't get myself to where I needed to be because I couldn't drive. But I could solve all the problems. You know, I have become convinced now in my mid-50s that being young is a cakewalk. I mean, the hardest thing you have to deal with is pimples. You know, or a first date. Or what to wear to prom. Or where to go after the ball game. It's really a cakewalk because it's not hard to start life, but it is very hard to finish life well. It's hard to finish with a good testimony. It's hard to finish without stumbling, and they always remember the last thing that you do at the end. I I believe that aging is not for sissies. You you have to strap on all of the tenacity and energy and gumption and knowledge and wisdom that God has given you in a lifetime to be able to deal with life. I, I was thinking the other day, if the Lord gives me a normal life, I've got less than 25 years left. And what have I done with the last 
55 and what am I going to do with the next 25 which is less time ahead of me than I have behind me and we all have to deal with the reality that life brings changes and sometimes for my generation I got to be honest with you for my generation sometimes it's hard for us to age well I have a friend of mine that took his daughter his 14 year old daughter uh, to a concert she wanted to go see journey in concert and so he took her to see Journey in concert. And he said, you know, Michael, he said, I'm not worried about the teenagers. They acted sane. He said, I'm worried about our generation. He said, I saw more Botox and plastic surgery and age-defying methods. We are not aging well. We are not accepting that we're getting older very well. We're trying to hide it, cover it, avoid it in every way we can. He said, sometimes I think we're the sick generation because we're trying to cosmeticize ourselves in such a way that nobody can really see what, see what we're really like. Now, I'm of the firm belief, it's not in Proverbs, but I'm of the firm belief, if the barn needs painting, you should paint it. But I believe we have become obsessed by it because there is a way to age gracefully and there's a way to grow old with wisdom. Here's Caleb. I love Caleb. He's 85 years old. He, he hasn't decided to spend what he gets from Social Security by going to the casinos in Biloxi and see if he can win the, win the big one. He hasn't decided that he's just going to retire to a community and waste his time here's a man who ages well in fact his name means fidelity that when you read the name Caleb you read the name fidelity it can also read discernment or obedience here's a guy as a young man who was a leader he was a man who didn't shrink back when his peers put pressure on him now think about this guy he wasn't content to live in Egypt. He did not want to spend his life in bondage. He wasn't content to live in the wilderness. He did not want to spend his life in defeat. And he wasn't content to stay where he was. He didn't have a grasshopper complex. He didn't look at the land that God had promised and say, Oh, God may have promised it, but it's too big and it's too much, and we can't do that. Caleb was a guy who stayed with the stuff. Look, if you would, at Numbers 13, beginning in verse 25. We're going to look at the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, and then we're going to look at Joshua, chapter 14. So we're going to look at three chapters today as we look at this story of Caleb. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Nevertheless... The people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now they give 
five reasons and five tribes why they can't go into the land in verse 29. Then in verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means, he's, it's a word of expediency, we should quickly, we should right now, we should do what God has told us to do. We should all means, by all means, go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. God had said, It's your land. The ten said, It's not. By the way, it's the last time God ever let a committee be chosen. Because the committee report was wrong. The majority was wrong. The majority can be wrong. When John Kennedy said we would put a man on the moon by the end of the 1960s, the overwhelming majority of Americans said that's impossible. But we did it. The majority can be wrong. These spies, these witnesses, in fact, were giving a false witness. They were not speaking as God had spoken to them, they were going merely on circumstantial evidence. And all 12 of them are leaders. They have been chosen as leaders to go out and spy out the land. But, but look at Caleb as this young man. He, he's got this legacy, chapter 14 and verse 22. Chapter 14, uh, verse 24, I think. No, it's 22. But because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt. In other words, God said, you know, I mean, they're not out here without a clue. They've seen what I've done because they've seen all I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test these 10 times and have not heeded my voice. They shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Now notice verse 24, the contrast between verses 23 and 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit. Can I ask you to underline in your Bible and begin to pray this way? God give me the different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. He had a different attitude. He wasn't like everybody else. He didn't think like everybody else. He was, a, uh, he was a guy who stood out among everybody else. God says he has a different spirit and he has followed me fully. The reality is the church does not need a different program. The church does not need different methods. The church does not need a different preacher and, and, and it doesn't need a different translation. The reality of what the church needs is a different spirit. Oftentimes we are facing the world and the darkness of our culture and we complain about it and we curse the darkness and we talk about how bad things are in our culture and the reality is we need people with a Caleb spirit, with a different spirit who say, yes it is that way but our God has said... And by the way, I've read the last two chapters in the Bible, and there's no devil in the last two chapters. We know who wins in the end. 
And there are times when the battles rage and there are times when the storms are strong. But the bottom line is when all is said and done and when history has been finally written, God will have the last word on what is done. And we need that spirit because, hey, folks, we're on the winning side. Act like it. Stand up. Stand strong. Be proud of the fact that God has chosen you and called you into his family and you're a child of the king. Act like you're a child of the king. Don't live like a pauper. Don't whine and complain like these people, these ten did. God says they've tested me because they've spoken against me. They have not recognized all the work, all the promises, all the interventions, all the times when I've made myself clear to them. They don't see it. They don't get it. They have no part in inheriting the land. You know what I'm asking God for in this church? I'm asking God for a generation of preschoolers and children and young people who grow up with a different spirit. I'm asking God to raise up out of this church some young men and women who have a different spirit and are ready to go and attack hell with a water pistol if they have to. That they will not settle into the status quo. They will not settle into mediocrity, but they will step up and be everything that God has saved them and called them to be. Here's Caleb, chosen at a young age. He didn't participate in the building of the golden calf. He didn't participate in the rebellion against Moses. He didn't participate in the murmuring and the complaining. You see, the crisis doesn't make the man. The crisis reveals the man. And here it is revealed the kind of young man that Caleb is. Now, two things stand out here. First of all is his courage. First of all is his courage. Caleb had great courage. Now, think about this. He's a young man. He has been delivered out of Egypt. He is in the wilderness. They have an opportunity to take the land. He's a younger voice in this nation. What does he do? He has courage. He stands up to his peers and says, you're wrong. What God says is right. Do you know why young people cave into temptation and why young people cave into their peers and why peer pressure is such a big thing today? Because of a lack of courage. You have to have courage because it is in those moments that you define yourself. Who you will be, what you will be, where you will stand, how you will live. And what he did as a young man defined him for the rest of his life. That moment, that decision, we must by all means go up and do it now. That moment was a defining moment because of courage. Secondly, because of faith. He believed there was more beyond. There's more beyond middle school. There's more beyond high school. There's more beyond college. There's more beyond your first job. He believed that there was more that God had for him. So here was a man with courage and with faith. If you look at these phrases that he uses, let us go up at once. We are able to overcome. Don't fear the people of the land. They, they are bred for us. Can I just give you a thought here if you want to write it in your margin? The bigger the giant, the bigger the loaf. They're bred for us. Oh, they're giants. I get the peanut butter and jelly out. They're just bred for us. They're nothing. They can't stand up to us. Why? Don't care how big they are. Don't care how big their army is. 
We've got Almighty God on our side. Let us go up at once and take the land. Then there's the legacy of midlife. We are obsessed today. We talk about midlife crisis and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, if you haven't had one, you will. It's okay. You'll survive. If your wife is going through one, be patient. You'll survive and she'll survive it. But, but here are the words that have begun to define midlife. My generation and those a little bit younger. We are distracted by the pursuit of the American dream. We are so distracted by it that we let economists and others determine how we feel about life. And so every time you ride by a gas station, you see if it's going up or if it's going down. Why? Because you are driven by the American dream. If gas would just go back down, I could get a new car quicker and I could get me one of those big old cars. I got to change because gas is going up. We're driven by the American dream. If I could own this, if I could have that. The second thing that defines my generation is we are bland. We are the generation that has followed the greatest generation, according to Tom Brokaw. And for the most part, we've done nothing to define this nation except become excessive materialist. They fought for freedom, and we fight for a wider driveway. They fought and bled and died so that we might be free from Nazi terrorism, and we just want to make sure nobody touches our stuff. Caleb in his midlife had a legacy. He was not disillusioned. Is this all there is to life? He was not defeated. Life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Here was a guy who is walking around in the wilderness and all he's doing is funerals. He's hanging out with a bunch of losers that he knows are never going to go where he's going, but he still lives a faithful life. He doesn't cave in in the wilderness to the negativity of those people and to the just the disaster of the circumstances that he's surrounded with. The hardest part of the journey is the middle of it. The middle part is where we often stumble. The middle part is where we often blow our testimony. But how we live in our middle years, when our kids are teenagers and when they're in college, and how we serve in our middle years determines the kind of legacy that we leave. And then there's a legacy that lives on. I want to ask you to turn to Joshua 14. A legacy that lives on. Joshua 14. I, I love the story of Caleb. There's a great quote in your notes that I hope you'll read a little later because I've got a lot of stuff I want to give you. But there's a great quote in your notes by Vance Havner on Caleb. When I began to study this, these passages on Caleb and began to put this message together, I took this quote and I sent it to about 50 of the most influential and strategic pastors I know in our convention who are my age or a little older. As a reminder, guys, we're to step up to the plate. It's our watch. It's our time. And we should not defer when we are in our greatest years of productivity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should not defer because we're a little tired. 
So here's his legacy that lives on, Joshua 14, 8. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years. From the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that on that day that Anakim was there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron, which is the city of refuge, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. <laughs> I love that. I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was then. My vision's not any less. My will is not any less. My passion is not any less. I'm an old man. All of my peers are going and sitting in a rocking chair in front of Cracker Barrel and eating biscuits and gravy because if you're going to die, die happy. Not me. Give me the hill country. Give me the hardest place in the land, which it was. Give me the hardest place in the land. And while these young guys are complaining that they cannot drive them out fully, you give me the toughest job and I'll get it accomplished. While others are sitting around saying, oh, it's so hard. There's so many. It's too tough. The Canaanites are so hard. Caleb is saying, I'm 85 years old and I'll tackle anything. I'll go for anything. I want you to listen to these things that Vance Havner said. Not the quote, but I want you to listen to this. There are five things I want you to write down real quickly. Number one, he carried out a purpose. He carried out a purpose. This is what Caleb did. There were no reservations. Not only did he carry out a purpose, secondly, he claimed a promise. He claimed a promise. He believed what God said. Thirdly, he counted on a presence. He counted on a presence. He didn't think he was going to go do this by himself. This wasn't about Caleb just being strong in and of himself. He knew the Lord was with him because the Lord had made a promise and the Lord was going to fulfill that promise. Number four, he conquered a possession. He conquered a possession. Caleb made that one-time decision as a young man that still drove him as an 85-year-old man. He didn't put his slippers on. He put his hiking boots on. He was a man who in his youth stood alone. In the wilderness, he walked alone. And in his old age, he climbed alone. He was a man who stayed with the stuff. The toughest part, Caleb stayed with it. Now I want to ask you something. What will be your legacy? What's your legacy as a young man right now or a young woman? 
What's your legacy as a median adult in midlife? What will be your legacy as a senior adult? How will people remember you? What will be your epitaph? What will be the things that they say of you when they remember you? Will they say that in youth they were like a Timothy, ready to take on the challenge of Ephesus? Will they say of you that you're like a Caleb in old age, you just keep going and keep climbing, that you never quit, that you never stop, that you are always growing into the last breath of your life? Will they say of you in midlife that you checked out? Or will they say that you stayed with it? I want to give you seven things if you're going to follow the Lord fully. If you and I are going to follow the Lord fully, there are seven characteristics that we need to have in our lives. And these are basically non-negotiable. If I want to follow the Lord fully, this is what I've got to do. Number one, if you're going to follow God, you've got to follow fully or get out of the way. You've got to follow fully or get out of the way. Now, I'm not saying that to be harsh or saying that to be mean. But you know, if you're causing the army to stumble in its advance, just step to the side and watch the parade go by. But don't hinder the progress of the march of the church of God. Follow fully or get out of the way. If you choose not to follow fully, that's your choice. And you'll live with that choice and you'll live with the legacy that that brings. But don't hinder somebody else who's following fully. I've had young people come to me that said, I believe God's called me into ministry. I believe God's called me to go and serve him. And, and their parents or their grandparents say, oh, don't do that. Please don't go to the mission field. Please don't serve God. Please, please don't do that. And quench the desire of the next generation to follow fully. Get out of the way. If you don't want to do it, encourage them to do it. Let them do it. Number two. Following fully means sacrifice. I mean, he's trying to take the hill country. He's trying to take the hardest enemies. It, it means sacrifice. There are no easy roads in the Christian life. There's not an HOV lane that you just kind of pass through quickly and you never have to worry about anything. It involves sacrifice, sacrifice of myself, sacrifice in, in prioritizing my life. Number three, following fully means standing on God's promises. What has God said? God says we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now every day in a thousand different opportunities, you have a chance to believe that promise or to question it. The Bible says, children of God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That means God's equipped you. God's empowered you. That the Christ inside of you is greater than the enemy that's trying to attack you. Stand on that promise. The scriptures say that there is no temptation come to man, but such is common to man, and God has made a way of escape. That means that when you stand on the promises of God, you can't say, I just can't help myself. That's just the way I am. God's made a way of escape. Stand on the promises of God. Number four, 
Following fully means consistent obedience. Consistent obedience. Not hot and cold. Not as a young person when I get back from youth camp, I'm committed until school starts. Not as a meeting adult, I'm committed unless I'm going to go to the lake, go to the river, go to the game, go here, go there, go there, go there, go do this, go do that. I can't be here this week. I won't be here next week. Probably not going to be here the next week. A week from now, I know I'm not going to be here. Six weeks from now, I'll see you at Christmas. It means consistent obedience. Number five, following fully means conflict. Everybody's not going to pat you on the back and tell you you're a wonderful person. Following fully means conflict. We are in spiritual warfare. Let me explain something to you that if you don't already know this, you need to think this through very carefully. The Satan in the people that Satan has hates the Christ in you. He doesn't dislike the Christ in you. He hates the Christ in you. There's going to be conflict. That's why to stand up to peer pressure, to stand up to the culture, to stand up to what our peers might be doing that says you can take the easier road, the lesser path, and not have the conflict. That is why it takes courage to do that because there's, there's conflict. Number six, following fully brings a reward. Caleb got the land. Caleb got the mountain. He got the hill country. And by the way, he got the well done from God because he says he's going to get it because he's followed me fully. Do you notice when you read your Bible that God says he has followed me fully? Moses says he has followed God fully. Joshua says he has followed God fully. And so when Caleb stands up and says, I have followed God fully, nobody's standing around saying, well, that's a joke. He's a hypocrite because he was consistent in his following of God. And then number seven, following fully will often demand that you stand alone. Following fully will often demand that you stand alone. But don't stand alone with the attitude that Elijah had. Lord, here I am. I'm the only one serving you. I'm the only one that cares. I'm the only one living for you. And God says, you know, I got some people off in a cave over there that you don't even know about. Following the Lord fully. I did a radio interview this week. We've done a lot. And I did a radio interview this week. And one of the interviewers said, what have you learned from all of this and the movies and everything. What, what, is it, what is your takeaway? What have you learned from all this? I said, I'll tell you what I've learned. I've learned that God is not limited to Sherwood Baptist Church and to Albany, Georgia. That our God is a big God. And he's got people who are absolutely, totally committed to him all around this country. And their names are never in the newspaper. They'll never be famous. Nobody will ever look at them and go, wow, that's a celebrity or that's a somebody. There are nobodies in the eyes of the world, but they are somebodies in the eyes of God. What I've learned is in small towns and big towns, in small churches and big churches, in businesses and in every area you can imagine, 
God has his witnesses, and God has his Caleb's. And it is the Caleb's who will be remembered. Oh, by the way, we're talking about leaving a legacy. If we took a test today, how many of you could name the ten other spies? The only people that are remembered are Joshua and Caleb. The other ten have been long since forgotten. Their names recorded just to remind us that they were real people. But their works were wood and hay and stubble because of doubt, because of fear, because they would not listen to the Word of God. You want to be remembered after you're gone? Follow the Lord God fully. And there will be a generation, if God tarries, 3,000 years from now, that will somehow rise up and call the Caleb's blessed because they followed fully. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed, please? If you are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, trusting Christ is not about praying a little prayer. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about being baptized. It's not about being confirmed by a church. Trusting Christ is a life-changing decision. It is acknowledging that I am going the wrong direction, that I'm walking down the wrong path, and turning my life around. That's what the word repent means. It means to turn your life around and to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's following fully. Lord, I'm giving you my life. Not just a part of it. I just don't want to just go to heaven when I die. I want to live for Jesus while I'm alive. So today, if you've never done that, whether you're in the balcony, the mezzanines, in the back or the front, I'm going to invite you when we begin singing to step out and come down and find one of our ministers and say, I need to trust Christ as my personal Lord and Savior today. It may be that you're here today and you're looking for a church home. You're looking for a place where you can worship and where you can serve. That I would encourage you, if God has led you to this place, to step out. Come find one of these men and let us talk with you about what it means to be a member of this church family. We're trying to raise up a generation of Caleb's. Out in the atrium, you see the sign. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. I want to raise up a generation of children and young people and single adults and young married couples and median adults and senior adults who have a Caleb spirit to believe God that we can do great things for Christ if we follow fully. It may be that you're here today and you've been wavering and you've been falling into peer pressure and you've been caving into what people think or how people feel. And today needs to be your defining moment when you stand up and you say, I'm following Jesus fully. I'm giving myself completely to him, unapologetically to him. We're going to sing. And when we start singing, I'm going to ask you to step out. It may be that some of you are here as grandparents and you're trying to leave a legacy with your grandchildren. Uh, you may need to come to the altar and just pray, Lord, help me be the kind of grandparent. Help me be the kind of parent that my children see in me a faith that they want to copy, a faith that they want to mimic, a life that they want to live. When they see my life, when they hear my testimony, that they know I followed you fully and I leave 
that kind of legacy. Whatever it is, step out and come right now as we begin to sing. Today.